So Happy New Year everybody. It's my privilege to have the first slot on, um, in the new year, but it's um, still carrying on with our uh, kind of systematic teaching from the book of Romans and as Ian said in his announcements we're now uh, moving into chapter 9 and um, I'd like us to read the first uh, 18 verses of chapter 9 but just a little bit of a recap we're moving on from chapter 8 and often we chapter 8 is so full and it's so wonderful that um, we kind of get to the end of it and just you know celebrate without going any further perhaps that's what happens sometimes but the beauty of this systematic study is we do get to see what comes next but just a reminder Chapter 8 is a rich chapter. We were just in the last session, just in the, the latter half of it, and we were thinking of our partnership with the Holy Spirit and his role specifically in our prayers. We thought about behind the scenes, what, what God, who sees the end from the beginning, how he is controlling what's behind the scenes, and it's all part of his purposes. We considered a God's eye view on me, and that's the, the wonderful truths of the gospel. We'll touch on those a little again today. And then living in the conviction of those things that we're more than conquerors and cannot be separated. But the story doesn't end there in Paul's argument to um, his Roman audience. And we carry on in his teaching about law and grace, which is the main theme I'd like to, for us to look out for three key messages in the first part of chapter 9. The first is Paul's very clear zeal for his Jewish brothers and his aspiration that they might be led to understand the truth about Jesus, of, uh, Jesus Christ that he had himself come to understand as someone who was steeped in Jewish tradition and there's a challenge in this statement as we consider Paul's zeal for the salvation of his Jewish brothers the challenge is whose salvation am I zealous for and what does my zeal look like that's our first key message and challenge second key message is accepting that Jesus is the Messiah for the Jewish people was not a contradiction of Old Testament teaching that they were steeped in, rather a fulfilment of Old Testament teaching. That must have been an, a, an amazing eye-opener to Paul, it changed his life, and it's all linked with his zeal that his fellow Jews would also wake up to the reality that the Messiah, Jesus Christ, is the one who was in the Old Testament prophecies. And then the third key message is another reminder, we had it in chapter 8, another reminder of God's sovereign choice demonstrated through his mercy towards those who he has chosen. And it, it is an amazing Christian truth and it demands a response. And the challenge is, do we worry about that, God's sovereign choice? Because some, some Christians do, they struggle with it. Or do we worship do we worry or do we worship? It's a challenge for us to think about. So 
Those three things in the back of our minds as we read Romans chapter 9, verses 1 to 18. I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sons, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all. Forever be praised. Amen. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it's as though Isaac, it, it's, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the point in time, I will return to Sarah, uh, uh, I will return and Sarah will have a son. Not only that, but Rebecca's children had one and the same father, our father Isaac, Yet before the twins were born or had done any good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. So our first key message is Paul's zeal for his Jewish brothers, that they may see the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ that Paul himself had seen. And let's not forget the challenge, um, who, whose salvation am I zealous for and what does that look like? Let's just go back to verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ, I am not lying my conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sons, theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. These are the patriarchs, and from them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever be praised. Amen. Just a little uh, an aside, we can't overlook that last statement, which, which comes as a little bit of a tangent. Uh, and it's as though when Paul is mentioning the person of Christ, it's, it leads to worship. 
And it's just like a little standalone statement that I'm talking about Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. It's a, it's a wonderful thought for us when we consider the person of the Lord Jesus and, and what does it prompt in our hearts? And this is not an isolated uh, example in Paul's writings where he's just almost mentioning the name of Christ and has to pause in acknowledgement for who he is. Just didn't want that, that point to be lost on us. But um, in consideration of Paul's zeal for his fellow Jewish people, let's remind ourselves of uh, the context of the book of Romans. It was written probably three years before Paul was able to visit Rome. And in uh, chapter 1, verse 7, it, it declares that it was written to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints. The, the opening passages of chapter 9 are clearly written, I think, to arrest the attention of a Jewish audience. And... Being in Rome, Paul would have had a mixed audience. So both Jews and Gentiles who had come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour and were now serving together in the Church of God in Rome. Um, but there were also a group of uh, Jewish people in Rome that Paul would have been very wary of. Remember... Um, why he's going to Rome. He's going to Rome because he was arrested in Jerusalem and accused by the Jewish leaders um, in, of Judea um, of blasphemy. And ultimately he appealed to Caesar as a Jewish, as, sorry, as a Roman citizen and that's why he's in Rome. And, you know, Paul's on his journey to Rome obviously after he'd sent this letter and after it had been read. And is he anticipating um, a reception on the dock in Rome, um, which takes him away to, to court? It's perfectly reasonable for us to expect that's what um, Paul was expecting. And it would be a contingent of Jewish leaders in Rome who had been primed for the uh, blasphemy that this man was guilty of and they were then to kind of finish the job. But I'd like to take us to Acts chapter 28, because you get a very different complexion as to how Paul was received, specifically by Jews living in Rome. And to me, it's fascinating, both um, as to how the story unfolds, but more importantly, what Paul's message was to those uh, Jewish leaders in Rome um, and it, it relates very much to what he has pitched three years earlier in chapter 9 to the, the Jewish contingent of his audience. So let's go to, Ro to Acts 28 verse 17. So Paul arrives in Rome and then it says three days, three days later he called together the leaders of the Jews. When they had assembled Paul said to them my brothers Although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, 
I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. But when the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Not that I had any charge to bring against my own people. For this reason I have asked to see you and to talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with these chains. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judea concerning you, and none of the brothers who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. From morning till evening he explained and declared to them the kingdom of God and tried to convince them about Jesus from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed amongst themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke to the truth to your spoke the truth to your forefathers when he said to them, when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You'll be ever hearing but never understanding. You'll be ever seeing but not perceiving. For this people's heart have become calloused, they hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would learn and I would heal them. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. I just um, have the sense that Paul, and we get it from his other writings as well, he was so... Um, <coughs> taken up with zeal as a Pharisee, as a highly educated leader, educated in the Old Testament law. And it's as though, and I say this reverently, he'd, he hadn't seen the wood for the trees. And because of um, the revelation to his heart of who Jesus really was, starting on the road to Damascus, it's like he was so taken up with what had been revealed to him that he just had this real passion to share it with his fellow Jews. It's a, it's a big thing, he says in Romans 9, that he would even um, concede his own salvation, that's my um, take on it, if it would um, lead his fellow uh, Jewish leaders to the same understanding that he had uh, concerning the truth of the identity of the Lord Jesus. And you can see, as he arrives in Rome, he's reiterating the same things, this time to um, a, for the most part, a unconverted Jewish audience. And it's not he's uh, avoiding these people who he had good reason to be afraid of, but he's in their face with the reality of what he's 
what's been revealed to him about the truth of Jesus Christ. There's a lot in there, but uh, the, the simple takeaway message that, or challenge really for my heart is Paul had this zeal for people, maybe he had met them in Jerusalem, it was his first visit to Rome, but he had this, view, this zeal in his heart when he arrived in Rome and it was already, the seed was already sowed in his letter three years earlier in chapter nine, that these Jewish people would come to the same understanding and uh, appreciate Jesus as their savior. And who do I feel like that about is, is the challenge to my own heart. Um, who do I feel so excited a, 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 with the truth that has been revealed to me? And who do you feel excited about the truth that's been revealed to you that you want to share it with them? And I just love uh, chapter 10, verse one. You might think, well, and Paul was an, an orator, although he declares he wasn't, but he's a man who had great ability to argue his case. We might feel somewhat inadequate, which, by the way, is a good thing to, to think. But you go to chapter 10, verse 1, and he says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. Now we'll talk next about God's sovereign choice and man's responsibility. We'll kind of come to that difficult concept for us to get our heads around. But the reality is, even though, as we'll see, Paul didn't try and tackle that intellectual challenge, he just accepted it. And he prayed for the salvation of his fellow Jewish leaders. The challenge is not just who am I sharing my faith with or who am I zealous about for their salvation. It's who do I pray for. Paul was praying for the salvation of his Jewish friends. I'm, I'm just encouraged with that. That um, we all, can't we, can think of those who we love who don't know the Lord, and we can pray for them. And the, the precedent, if we need one, is set here that Paul prayed for them. That's the first challenge about Paul's zeal for his fellow Jews, that they might be saved. And he preached to them. He went out of his way to preach to them. Uh, and he also accompanied that by praying for them. Let's go to... Um, the second message, which is accepting Jesus as the Messiah, um, fulfills Old Testament truth rather than contradicts it. Going to verse 6 of chapter 9. It is not as though God's word had failed, for not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it's not the natural children who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise. It's a lovely expression. Children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. For this was how the promise was stated. At the appointed time, 
I will return and Sarah will give will have a son that was promised to Abraham in his old age and um, that was the beginning of the appearance of God's chosen people Israel Paul was um, really nodding back I think to um, an earlier argument that we see in chapter 2 actually chapter 2 and chapter 3 and the message being was just because they were Jewish by ancestry didn't necessarily give them some kind of security. Perhaps we think that sometimes, that you know, God has a special place for the Jews. But he, he makes it very clear in chapter 2, a man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the Spirit, not by written code. Such a, a man's praise is not from men, but from God. So we're in Paul's pitch to uh, Jewish converts, and he's putting the Jewish ancestry into the right context, I think. It's actually a theme that he also um, takes up in, in his letter to the church, Churches in Galatia, if we go to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 6, Consider Abraham, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations, not just the Jews, but all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 26. You are also sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For you all are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and errs according to his promise. I guess the, the Jews were, could understandably, being steeped in the Old Testament promises, could consider themselves as being somehow on a pedestal. And let's not overlook the reality that the Jewish nation is God's chosen nation, and they're special to him. We don't take that truth away from Old Testament and New Testament teaching. But the reality is, when it comes to salvation by grace through faith, it's extended to the Gentiles. And that seems to me to be the message that Paul is staying, saying here. That, um, yes, Jewish, Jewish brothers are special, but it's clear throughout Old Testament teaching that um, all nations would be blessed as a consequence of the promises of God to Abraham. And we are there, aren't we, as Gentiles or non-Jews. Um, he talks about um, the Jews having special um, promises from God and how that they now are accessible to the Gentiles. What are those promises that we can 
embrace for ourselves. And we go back to verse 4 of chapter 9. Theirs, that's those who are, let's say, the children of promise. Theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, that's the word of God, the temple worship and the promises. So as um, children, as sons of God, those who have a right to inherit, we now as um, non-Jewish converts, if we can put it that way, have these promises made um, precious to ourselves. The last point is a reminder of God's sovereign choice and um, what is our response to it. Let's go to verse 14 of chapter 9. And um, he's making the point that God shows mercy to whom he decides to show mercy. And he says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, I raised you up for this very purpose, that I might display my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens those who he wants to harden. We're going back to statements made in chapter 8, and we'll just read verse 28 to 30 because it's so beautiful. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For God, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among firstborn among many brothers and those he predestined he also called those he called he also justified those he justified he also glorified what do we do with this amazing truth of God's sovereign choice of me and God's sovereign choice of you to um, to save us to redeem us and to call us into divine service alongside each other enabled and empowered by the holy spirit finding our direction from god's word what do we do with this um and it, it does appear to me that that there are two things that we we do with it um we embrace it and celebrate it and worship or um and and some christians have have really become, their faith has been undermined by trying to extrapolate this, may, this amazing truth and understand its consequences for other people. But what if, you, what if you're not chosen? And uh, I just, I'd like to steal a couple of verses from the next um, session. I, I didn't notice who's doing it next. But if we just go to verse 19, you get Paul's response to that kind of uh, thought process one of you will say to me then why does God still blame us for who resists his will but who are you O man to talk back to God uh, shall what is formed say to him who formed it why did you make me like this does the potter have the right 
to make out of the lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common purposes. So much like Paul is saying, and this is how I'd like to, to leave us with this thought today as we consider the wonder of God's choice of me, is let's just celebrate it. Our hymn said, where reason fails with all its powers, and Paul was a man who was great at rationalising things, and we have amazing minds, don't we, to try and rationalise things, but we get to a point where our reason, with all its powers, fails. And the hymn says, there faith prevails. Faith takes over and love endures. So in consideration, as we on, continue to consider, consider Paul's teaching on these amazing subjects, and this in particular the wonder of God's choice of us and, and his calling of us into service. Let's uh, embrace it with faith and celebrate it. Um, as we've seen, it's our responsibility to preach um, for the unsaved. We, we embrace that too. It's our responsibility to pray for the unsaved and it's our responsibility to worship the Saviour. Shall we pray?